welcome back to another Food for Thought, a bonus show of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And thank you to SmokingPipes.com, Missouri Mearsham, Cornell and Deal, and Savinelli. Because of them, we're able to keep doing these. So this time we are uh, we are talking about a man named Norville Lee who competed in the Olympics, and we'll get into that deal. We'll get into the whole deal with that. But my guest is. Um, Someone I've known for a long time. Uh, he is my father-in-law, Ken Conklin, who has, I've mentioned on the show before, recently written a, uh, I guess it's a, a biography of Norville Lee and his life. And for this, we're going we're gonna to kind of focus on, the, uh, on his boxing career and the Olympic boxing. So uh, welcome, to, uh, welcome to the show, author Kenneth Conklin, or as I've known him, uh, my father-in-law. Well, thank you, Brian. I uh, appreciate you asking me to be here. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to to having this discussion. Yeah. So, all right. So, let's. I don't think I actually know this question, but how did you come across Norville and his and his story? Well, it's a, that, it's an it's an interesting question. Uh, in in mid August of 2016, while while the Olympics that were being held in Rio de Janeiro were taking place. I was having my morning coffee when my wife, Barbara, put our local weekly newspaper in front of me. And she said, this looks interesting. The headline said, Botetourt County native won Olympic gold in the boxing ring. And then it had a subtitle that said, well, that was a great accomplishment. It was not the only reason to recognize Norvell Lee. By then, we, uh, we, my wife and I, had lived in Botetourt County for 11 years, and I had never heard of Norval Lee. Huh. <laughs> so, so what I what I wanted to do, what I did was I wanted to have just more information, and I did yeah. what we all do. I googled him, and found out there was very little information on him uh, on the web. So, um, I, if you Google him today, by the way, you'll find a bunch of information on him because of the book. But uh, it comes up on the first page, and this includes a Wikipedia page and, and everything else. But at the time, there was very little information on him. But an item that did come up was contained in a blog called Boxing Along the Beltway by Gary Digital Williams. And his blog is focused on boxing in the greater Washington, D.C. area, which is where uh, Norville was based. The posting I found was published in 2012, and it was a look back at Norville's boxing career. Wow. So Williams' blog is popular, um, very popular among mid-Atlantic boxing aficionados. So they always draw a lot of uh, comments, his uh, various uh, postings. As I scanned through the comments, the last item said, Gary, thanks so much for this article on my grandfather. And <laughs> I reached out to Norville Lee's granddaughter, Darren Anderson, and and as they say, the rest is history. I, I connected to the rest of uh, Norval's family, uh, his other grandchildren, other relatives, and who graciously shared anecdotal stories about him. And and I saw many of the artifacts that they had collected over the years. Now, Norval's name is spelled N-O-R-V-E-L. Last name is Lee, L-E-E. Um, what year was it that he started boxing? Well, that's a, also a good a good question. He did not box as a child here in very rural Virginia. They didn't have such programs set up. 
and he really didn't start boxing until he uh, enrolled in Howard University after World War II. He was the um, he he was a veteran of World War II, and had served in the South Pacific. And from my research, it looked like he had been involved in a boxing team in Manila as an assistant to the manager of the team. And I'm I'm thinking that he probably did some sparring at that point. But when he after he entered uh, Howard University in uh, uh, nineteen was nineteen. Uh, fall of 1947 that he entered Howard University uh, that that he thought well maybe I can do this and he tried to try out for the boxing team at Howard and they wouldn't let him they had a full team and huh. I, I go in the, the book actually covers that whole episode uh, uh, quite a bit so what he did was he he learned that the DC Golden Gloves was trying to uh, be, it was really only open to uh, the white race at that time, and but yeah. it was trying to open up to all races. So he was encouraged to go over there to join, uh, to, to, to join it. And that, that's what he did. He joined the Golden Gloves in Washington, DC. Now, I think it's also kind of important to point out right now the, uh, that uh, Norville was, uh, was of African-American descent and stuff like, you know, boxing might not have even been an option to him in uh, rural Virginia in the, you know, growing up in the thirties and forties. That, that, that's, that's correct. I, yeah. I looked around, I actually did some research here locally to see what kind of um, athletic programs they may have had. And they were very, very, they really didn't have uh, uh, them set up for, for blacks. The schools were, were, uh, the schooling was limited here. So without giving it away all completely, but are there a couple, are there a couple favorite boxing stories of that you like that are in the book? I like all the boxing stories. <laughs> there are many exciting boxing scenes and boxing stories that are in the book. And, um, you know, they, they all, that all those scenes lead up to the uh, 1952 Olympics in Helsinki, Finland, of which Norval was a, a participant. Um, uh, he, uh, Norval, by the way, was also on the 1948 uh, Olympic team in, uh, in London. Um, and uh, he was an alternate on that team and did not get into the Olympics, but he was a member of the team. And he had made that team with only seven bouts after uh, joining the Golden Gloves. But, but wow. to answer your question, the the Helsinki Olympics, they were very exciting, and but their their excitement has been a little bit lost to history. It's uh, the U.S. boxing team made history at those Olympics, and one of the members of that boxing team was 17-year-old Floyd Patterson who Norval was asked to watch over and mentor, which he did. But the, the episode I would really like to concentrate on is the 1951 international duels matches. So what are those? These, yes, yes. Uh, these are events in which the amateur champions of each weight class fight their counterparts in selected other countries. And these, these events, by the way, go on to this day. We just don't hear about them. They are an AAU, Amateur Athletic Event, and they, uh, they go on every single year. In 1951, the U.S. team was comprised of the 10 AAU champions from their respective weight categories, and the heavyweight national champion at that point was Norval Lee. Wow. But, but the light heavyweight champion was a Bostonian named John Boudelier. 
And I mentioned him because I had the good fortune of connecting uh, with uh, Lisa Teas, who lives in Southern California, where her father eventually settled. She was uh, she was uh, John Boudouillier's uh, daughter, and she was an important source of information regarding uh, the boxing scenes of 1950 and 1951 when her father was involved. And Norval and he became friends. They traveled together to Europe on this 1951 duels team, and on. I know I'm going on the side here, but my yeah. first book talk, which was which happened here, uh, one of Norville's granddaughters and his nephew came down from Washington, D.C., and Lisa came out from Southern California to attend that talk. <laughs> so uh, in in but in August of 1951, the U.S. duels team went to Europe and they had matches against England, Germany and Sweden. Norville won both his matches in England. And then the team went to uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, and there Norval was matched against Abe Rosenberg. It was clear at the outset of the bout that Norval was the superior fighter, but and he felt that he should have been able to put Rosenberg down in the very first round. But Rosenberg stood his ground for all three rounds, absorbing Norval's onslaught. It was clear that Norval was winning all the points uh, in the bout. These amateur bouts were three rounds. Yeah. Afterward, after the fight, he found out that Rosenberg had escaped Nazi Germany and lost his entire uh, family to the uh, Holocaust. And Norville concluded that that, uh, Rosenberg never would have gone down, even though he had lost the fight. So that was a very, uh, it was actually a very emotional uh, thing for me to discover as I was writing it and and putting it down. Yeah. The rest rest of that tour ended in Gothenburg, uh, Sweden, where Norval's opponent was the highly touted Ingemar Johansson. And the, the Swedes were queued up for this featured match hours upon hours ahead of time. But Johansson, who, as you know, went on to a highly publicized uh, professional career, didn't have the strategic maturity at that point that Norval had. Norval just uh, stayed away from Johansson's devastating right hand and worked in jabs and punches inside with his scoring hits. The strategy worked and Norval won all three rounds. It was Johansson's sole amateur defeat. Now, you might, <laughs> you might recall, this is just an, as an aside here, uh, yeah. you might recall that in 1959, 60, and 61, that uh, before there ever was a rumble in the jungle, there were the classic heavyweight championship fights between Ingemar Johansson and Floyd Patterson. Yeah. And what I found out, and it, uh, I don't know if this story is well known, but after those fights and after both men had retired from boxing, Floyd Patterson and Ingemar Johansson became uh, 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 friends, uh, uh, close friends. They visited each other every year, and they actually ran marathons together. Wow. You know, and what I guess what, what kind of what, what's interesting to me about this is, first of all, I'm kind of missing the fact that we're not going to have the Summer Olympics coming up this summer. Uh, you know, they'll be delayed a year. But, I mean, it, you know, here's Norville beating a younger man that goes on to become the world heavyweight champion you know, for a couple of years. In- Ingemar held it for several years undefeated. Right. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he and he did it in front of his hometown crowd. Now the only, you know, Johansson was young at that time, yeah. and uh, but uh, Norval Norval was a very strategic fighter. He would do his homework ahead of time on who he was uh, he was going up against, 
and come up with kind of a strategy on how he was going to approach him. And he was adaptable enough and quick enough where he, he could do that. Wow. And then afterwards, didn't Norville started training or set up a gym for boxers in the D.C. area? He didn't do that, but that's a good uh, good point that you uh, that you make. I, if I can, um, yeah. let me tell just a little story. This 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 story didn't make the book. It um, I, I wanted to, but I you know you can always put so much into a book. But during my research, I had reached out to the D.C. Boxing Commission, uh, which Norval had headed up in the mid 1960s. Um, I received a return phone call from uh, Henry Discombobulating Jones. This is his, <laughs> his name. And Jones is the ring announcer for Washington, D.C. boxing events to this day. He's a very popular figure in those circles. And I'm still, in t I'm still connected with him uh, uh, to this day. I've, uh, I've in fact had a conversation with him just a couple weeks ago. Uh, but anyways, he connected me with a top-tier boxing trainer, Adrian Davis. Davis was a trainer for Sugar Ray Leonard at one point. When I spoke with Davis, he told me how he, how when he was 15 years old and basically uh, a, a kid in on the streets in uh, Washington D.C. that uh, the Norville defended him, uh, took him under his uh, wing and by getting him involved in boxing at a place called Finley's Gym in D.C. Finley's was a hidden gem known only to the boxing world that many of the boxing luminaries hung out at. <laughs> and at one point, uh, just to show Norville's statue in the boxing world, uh, when he had Davis over there, Davis recognized a man that was standing uh, over in a corner. And Norville said, um, you want to meet him? And I heard the story from uh, Adrian Davis. And so Norville took him over to him and said, uh, introduced him to Rocky Marciano, who was, <laughs> happened, happened to be happened to be uh, visiting the gym, <laughs> just, just hanging out in the corner. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, but the the story you brought up about Finley's gym, no, Norval didn't start that, but he used it to take the uh, Washington D.C. kids that he was mentoring at the time uh, over there. And if I can tell you a brief story of Finley's gym, uh, or it's yeah. a great Washington D.C. story, or we can save it for another time. No, go ahead. Okay, so Jim Finley um, was also a boxer in the D.C. area in the early 1950s, but he didn't, uh, he didn't do that well at the sport. They'd always loved the sport. And Norville, Norville kind of knew him when he was, he was younger. Finley was in, started an auto repair business in Washington, D.C. called Finley's Auto Repair. And at the top of the building was this little space that he put this informal boxing, uh, boxing gym in. And he uh, then we made a rule that if you were, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an official business, but the word got out amongst everybody and boxers, adult boxers would go in there and they'd give uh, Finley a little stipend and they could work out and all. Um, if you were a kid and went in there, Finley's only requirement was that you'd be w uh, well behaved. So Norval used to take some of his, kid, his kids that he was mentoring uh, uh, over there, and the word got out amongst in the world uh, about this place. And like I was saying, luminaries would go, boxing luminaries would go and hang out there. And, and non-boxing people did too. The uh, jazz musician Miles Davis, who liked boxing and, and got his exercise boxing, would hang out there when he was in Washington, D.C., uh, it, there's just, there's just some great stories that come out of that entire uh, 
shopping, this little informal place. I was on top of a parking garage in Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So when did, so Norval won a gold medal in, in the 52 Olympics. Yes. Um, did he win it? Was it a team medal or was it an individual medal? He won the light heavyweight uh, gold medal uh, in the 52 Olympics. He also, and, and that's an interesting story also, Norval again was picked as an alternate on that 1952 team. And it turns out the coach really wanted Norval to get into the match, uh, but through a series of circumstances he did, but Norval had, and the book kind of covers this, Norval had to lose a lot of weight in, in 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 about a week's period of time to qualify for the light heavyweight uh, uh, category because there was a heavyweight already in there uh, that was doing well. Ed Sanders was his name. So Norville um, got into the light heavyweight category and just really distinguished himself. There's a scene in the book that um, uh, is the Val Barker Trophy uh, that is awarded boxers at all the Olympics. And... Uh, in 1952, it was the third time that it was it was uh, passed out, and it's it's I I learned that it's not given to, it's not awarded after the gold medal is awarded. It's an, awarded before, and what it is is not based on gold medal. It's based on your demeanor as a boxer, your sportsmanship, and all. And so before the gold medal matches started in Helsinki, uh, Norval Lee was awarded the Val Barker Trophy. Wow. I know. And then he got into the ring and, and uh, won the gold medal. There is <laughs> if uh, there is a uh, YouTube video uh, out that it's a little bit, uh, I, somebody, some amateur kind of put it together, some a little film footage. There's not a lot of uh, footage of normal boxing, but there's, there's two. And one of them shows this brief clip of him in the Olympics and with, uh, with YMCA playing in the background for some reason. And then uh, it, sh it shows him on the gold medal stand uh, receiving the gold medal. Mm. Uh, Norval did not go on and box professionally. He, 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 didn't, he didn't get into any of the big money bouts or any of that stuff, did he? No. He, uh, education was very important to him, and he went on to a big year, uh, a big career in uh, educational circles in the Washington, D.C. area. In and he was, when, by the time the 1952 Olympics came around, he was 27 or 28 already. And, yeah. But he was, he was famously quoted in the uh, Washington Post uh, when asked whether he uh, was going to go professional. And his answer was, I'd rather make an honest dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh that was that was a story he had no intention of going that way he was offered uh, i have this in the book uh in 1950 or 51 he was also offered a ten thousand dollar bonus to go pro and he turned it down wow are there any other uh boxing stories that didn't make the book that you want to share um, I have most of the boxing uh, stories already uh, really in the book. Um, I didn't cover, I didn't have any details of the, you know, it was, it was assumed after he won the gold medal in 1952 in the uh, Olympics that his wife said uh, his career was over with and, and all. But uh, in 1955, he uh, fought in the Pan Am Games in Mexico City. He, he got back and trained and got in shape for it, and he took the uh, bronze medal in those games. Um, 
and he did that because in 1951, there was the Pan Am Games in Buenos Aires, which were um, which were rigged in in uh, in favor of the Argentinian boxers. So, <laughs> so, so wait, are you are you saying boxing has not been on the up and up for years now? Because <laughs> well, it, it was a di- it was a different time in those days. Yeah. This was you know this was amateur boxing, and but uh, it was uh, the days of uh, Juan Perón in in uh, in Argentina. He wanted to make sure his his boxers won. <laughs> so after after all this uh you know, norval goes on and gets a, and gets a further education and then what did he what did he do with the rest of his life uh he was um well he he had many advanced degrees he was also a, mil- a military man he spent um uh had a long career in the u.s air force reserves uh, he rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel you know in World War II days, he actually was a Tuskegee Airman. He wasn't allowed to, uh, he didn't actually fly. Uh, he was assigned to the South Pacific, but he did earn his wings at Tuskegee. So he was always a military man. He was very patriotic. He um, had a long career uh, in, in the military, but his main focus was education. And he was, first of all, involved uh, when he, he graduated from Howard uh, at the National Training School for Boys in the Washington, D.C. area, and then moved up to, into uh, uh, various uh, upper-level administrative positions in, in education. He earned a master's degree, and he also earned an ABD from Catholic University, which is all but the, uh, dissert- the dissertation. Norville had a, uh, uh, a pronounced stammer. And so he had, uh, that was another one of the obstacles, aside from growing up in uh, Jim Crow era of uh, Virginia, was also uh, just having to get over things like that, too. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Any any other stories that you want to make sure and get out there? And then, of course, we'll mention where to get the book and all that stuff, too. Um, he has very strong uh, family ties. He married a, uh, a wonderful woman from uh, Leesburg, uh, Virginia. Uh, Leslie Jackson. I've gotten to know members of her family through the research, and they have their own great levels of stories uh, to tell. In fact, uh, Leslie Jackson's uh, cousin uh, is a person named uh, Mervyn Jackson, who, if you drive through downtown Leesburg, Virginia, there's a park right in the middle of downtown uh, Leesburg uh, named after him. So um, uh, there's a very, very well-connected family, and they were all into giving back. Uh, Leslie Jackson herself was very involved with libraries and making sure that uh, uh, and had all the support of Norval and, and making sure that uh, books were available in all parts of Washington, D.C. And we haven't rehearsed this or anything, but I'm going to ask you this, too, because writing is not your career. You're, you're retired, but you always enjoyed writing and then this is kind of your first this is your first real uh real attempt at writing um what besides doing all the research and what was what was hard about it what what'd you find exciting about the process of putting a book together well i've i've moved around uh you know i've moved around in my career in the technology industry but i've always been a writer and so um i've 
whatever wherever I've gone, I've usually uh, submitted uh, work to you know various periodicals and and certainly the local newspapers in the area. And here in the Roanoke area, I've had uh, a regular uh, contributor to the Roanoke Times uh, with uh, different pieces. So and I'd always had this. You know, if the right thing came along, I would want to write either, you know, more of a novella-length uh, piece. I've always been interested in writing some fiction and writing dialogue, which this uh, this uh, book has in it. But there was not anything that I found. Um, the story actually told itself. Um, I didn't find anything to... Uh, the only thing I found more difficult was now just getting it out in the marketplace. But the writing of yeah. the book and and all was was uh, just sheer pleasure all along. And and part of the part of that was the adventure that I went on in discovering the the, the you know the, the the entire journey, the different people I met, and, and and uncovering some uncovered gems that you that one one uh, wouldn't know know about. I haven't even mentioned the. Uh, the civil rights case yet that Norval was involved with, and that's a yeah. whole other story too. Yeah, I mean this is this is a true American story of a man that grew up in Jim Crow era Virginia and just you know just uh, superseded every expectation of his life and just kept pushing forward. Right. It, it, it is. It's very, very impressive. Nothing got him down. The family, the family told, said that Normal never got stuck on the past or, or anything. He was a very humble man. He didn't brag about himself. And he just kept moving on to the next thing, whatever that was. And he had a, a big career in business. He, later on in life, he owned uh, lots of real estate up in the Washington, D.C. area. I mean, the story just goes on and on and on. It's hard to fit all that into one book. But uh, I'm, I'll I look forward to book talks and um, and other things when they come up. Yeah, as if as if winning a gold medal wasn't enough, he went on and got a couple of postgraduate school degrees and, and yes, yeah, and then on top of that was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. When he went into the Army, he wasn't even in the Army Air Corps. He wasn't really allowed to be with the other with the other exactly. soldiers. Exactly. He was in a segregated unit during World War II uh, in the South Pacific. Uh, but then later on, also in the 1960s, he, uh, the uh, U.S. State Department chose him to lead a goodwill mission over to West Africa, which he did. He went over to West Africa, and I have a chapter on that in the book. Uh, so the book is called Norville Lee, N-O-R-V-E-L-L-E-E. -E. It's available on Amazon and uh, anywhere else? It Actually, the book is only called Norval by his first name, okay. N-O-R-B-E-L. And uh, so so I don't have his last name uh, on there. I have it listed as a subtitle on Amazon as uh, Norval, colon, an American hero. There you go. If you want some reading that includes some, uh, maybe you're missing the Olympics and you want to go back to the days when, you know, when there were Olympics, uh, check it out. I know we've had we have a copy floating around here around the house, and I haven't had a chance to read it because it's been bouncing around for a while. But uh, plus, I'm a little behind on my other reading, which you'd think with all this free time we'd have a ton of reading time. But uh, I, I, I might want to um, mention uh, yeah. now that uh, the book is available in hardback and on Kindle, 
And the difference in the two is that the photos, and there's about 50 photos in the book, that are uh, uh, they are placed in the relevant chapters in the hardback, but for the Kindle, they are bundled at the back of the book for uh, formatting uh, purposes. But the, the, the both the both types are available on Amazon. The hardback is also available at the usual online stores like Barnes and Noble, Powell Books, and many others. And if you want to uh, support your independent bookstore locally, you can order the book through them as well. Yeah, just like independent smoke shops, the independent bookstores are uh, kind of hurting right now too. So they can they can definitely use the help. Right. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and talking about the book. And I know it's been a uh, it's been a passion project for for you for four or five years now. Yes, August of 2016 to to this point, and the venture continues. Yeah. Uh, again, you can find the book on Amazon and on Kindle and all that electronic stuff. But you really want paper in front of you because paper is much easier to sit down and smoke a pipe with. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, well, thanks again to SmokingPipes.com, Savinelli, Cornell and & Deal, and Missouri Meersham. And that's just been some more food for thought.